this is the Washington State Wire podcast, a podcast on the policy, politics, and economics of Washington State. Here's your host, DJ Wilson. Welcome to our second episode of the Washington State Wire podcast. In this new season of ours, appreciate you listening in. My name is DJ Wilson. One of our folks here at The Wire working to bring you content, coverage, and analysis on the policies, the politics, and the personalities of Washington State. And in this episode, we're, we're talking to one personality in particular that had quite an impact on our state politics in 2019. Khan Chu was one of the folks that helped to lead the No on Referendum 88, No on Initiative 1000 campaign. This was a campaign about equality or about affirmative action, depending on one's perspective, and how better equality could be achieved. Back in the 1990s, Initiative 200 made illegal the use of affirmative action tools like quotas or preferences in the hiring of state employees or the award of admissions to higher education uh, universities and, and institutions. That was brought back as a question in the 2019 session. Late in that session, an initiative to the legislature came from a group of folks seeking to repeal Initiative 200. That new initiative, known as Initiative 1000, was affirmed and passed by the legislature late in the 2019 session. However, a group of folks that was led by, in part, Khan Chu, they they organized a, a a referendum campaign on that initiative. So Referendum 88 garnered the requisite signatures very quickly and took Initiative 1000 and put it before the voters. You can see how complicated this got and was confusing to a number of folks. But ultimately, the Initiative 1000 slash R88 campaign was defeated. Khan Chu's effort against that initiative was successful. In other words, a group led by Khan and others repealed an initiative that had been affirmed, which repealed an initiative that made illegal the use of affirmative action. You can see how complicated this gets. Whether there was confusion at the ballot box or not is a matter for others another time. This conversation with Khan digs into how their no campaign the campaign that maintained the illegality of affirmative action methods, how their no campaign came about, how it came together as really kind of a, a response to legislative action, and what that might mean about the state of the Washington state electorate, at least in off-year elections like in 2019. So that's complicated stuff, but I wanted to get into, without any further ado, this conversation with Conchu one of the leaders of the No on Referendum 88, No on Initiative 1000 campaign. Welcome, Khan Shu, the co-chair of the Let People Vote Referendum 88 campaign, or No on Referendum uh, 88. Thank you very much for making time to be with us. Thank you. Thank you, DJ. Reject Referendum 88 campaign. Yes. Yeah. We're recording this at our 2019 Rewire Policy Conference on December 10th, and so we're after the November elections, we're ahead of the legislative session. And, and uh, I got to say, I wrote about this and I, I uh, communicated with other folks in your organization about this a little bit throughout the year. You all put together a very impressive 
effort to bring this question to the ballot. Just logistically, regardless of one's political persuasion, uh, you sort of came not entirely out of thin air because you'd been working on this for quite a while, but uh, moved very quickly and rapidly. So uh, congratulations on, on a success, big success. Thank you, thank you. Yes, it, it's, it's a huge daunting task. Yeah, it's just like amazing the, that uh, this campaign has pulled off, yeah. I wanna get into some of the details of the specifics of Referendum 88, of Initiative 1000, of Initiative 200, how those are all related and different. Uh, but first, tell us about you. Tell us about your sort of life history. How do you get to this uh, place in Washington State politics in 2019? Um, yeah, to tell you the truth, I, you know, until very recently, I'm, I'm kind of like political outsider. So, um, got into this. Really, it's not because I'm willing to. It's just because I'm kind of forced into this. It's a uh, yeah. It's all started the last year, and then there was a Senate bill try to in repeal Initiative 200. Yeah, and then that's when when people found out that, and then uh, lots of people from our community was just totally alarmed that uh, the legislator would try to repeal Washington Civil Rights Act. You know, the Washington Civil Rights Act guaranteed equal treatment of every individual, regardless of race. I mean, that's how, you know, me as an immigrant, I mean, although growing up in China, and then in my 20s, uh, after graduating from college, I came here. And, you know, throughout my life, I, I, th this value of equality, I mean, it's cherished throughout my life. So for people to actually try to reverse that, that's just the unbelievable. I want to, uh, uh, you know, I've had a real honor of meeting a lot of different types of folks. I don't know that I've ever met anybody who was at Tiananmen Square during the uprising that uh, Deng Xiaoping cracked down on. Tell us, you, you were there. I, I was there, yes. Uh, I was second year in college in Beijing. So that was in the spring of 1989. And you know what, um, that's 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, this year's event actually brought my, <laughs> refreshed my memory back 30 years ago. The Hong Kong event? No. The, 2019 event, the election. No, the, the, the legislator passed Initiative 1000. Under the uproar of hundreds of protesters outside the Senate chamber, and then the legislator passed Initiative 1000. So it just reminded me my personal experience 30 years ago in Beijing, when the government turned their blind eye to the people, not listening. And then in return, they responded with tanks and gunfires, bullets. So that was, that was really brutal. And then that's very um, vivid memory in my mind. And America, in my mind, is always um, our dream uh, of freedom liberty, 
this country, and then we cherish equality. So that's one of the reasons that I come immigrant to America. And then this year, when we personally observe when the legislator reverse people's will and also deny people's vote in November by passing Initiative 1000, that is totally outrageous to us. And so that initiative to the legislature, Initiative 1000 passed, you uh, or your organization and you had a series of folks who, as you mentioned, protested, who also testified uh, in hearings on that. Um, how did you, I mean, you must have believed that there that this initiative would have won, right? I mean, you, you you must have believed that this would have been successful, or did you did you think it was going to be successful, or did you feel like that this was an argument you needed to make to the people on principle? Yeah. Well, we are uh, up until the the vote of the legislator. We've been trying to talk to lots of legislators, and mm -hmm. um, on both sides of L. I mean, it's a, we literally spend, like starting in January, all the way in April. I mean, we, I don't know, remember how many times we come to Olympia, how many legislators, how many meetings we had with uh, both Senate members and uh, House members, particularly in those committee members, the, the the Senate Government Committee and also House Judiciary Committee. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, we were talking to them and some of them, you know, initially actually very, uh, yeah, they, 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 they were thinking about voting on our side. Mm -hmm. And then, but unfortunately, at the very end, you know what, the party prevailed and then they actually voted along the party line. That, that's really unfortunate. So a lot of folks who uh, maybe just glanced at this, particularly people who are white and often progressive, may have glanced at this and said, well, if this organization is, is called, not your organization, but Washington, Asian, Washington Asians for Equality, if that organization, mm -hmm. of which you're a member, uh, is against affirmative action, per se, that sort of strikes, uh, strikes me as odd. Traditionally, people of color have been among the strongest advocates for uh, affirmative action and, and opposed I-200. Explain for people who um, you know, weren't at the table with you through the whole process what that portion was like being a, being a vocal person of Chinese descent uh, where there were a number of folks uh, in the um, people of color community who were advocates for initiative. 1,000? I would think uh, there are actually twofold. First of all, I mean, our, our community, um, Asian American community, is a very diverse community. And then, so the, the assumptions that uh, such a diverse community is assumed to have to be cited on, on on one side on this issue, it's just, uh, uh, I don't think it's reasonable to assume everybody in that such diverse community would, would be on, on one sided on this issue, yeah. right? 
And also, the other side is um, the the reason that we oppose um, Initiative One Thousand. It's not really. It's not a subject of affirmative action. We are opposing racial preferences. The, the right. you providing different treatment based on race and color. That's what we are opposing. Specifically for uh, admission into universities. For higher, and, yeah, and high education hiring. and public hiring and contract. Right. Yes. So I want to make sure that we can include your questions if you have them, either about the initiatives or the referendum or the politics or the mechanics, any of those pieces. Michael will bring a, a microphone around. We'll need you to use the microphone so we can record it into the podcast. Michael will edit out all of this stuff, uh, particularly if nobody has any questions. Uh, so just raise your hand if you, if you do. Um, and Con, let me ask, let me just restart that for editing purposes. So let me ask a follow-up on that. How, how, did, uh, the, how did folks who are not white, particularly within the Chinese American community, embrace or reject your efforts. I mean, I asked that today because, as I mentioned, we're recording this at the 2019 Rewire Policy Conference, and I, in another panel on diversity, there was this notion of, of colorism, that sometimes within uh, the communities of people of color, uh, the darker uh, tones of skin color and the lighter tones of skin color don't always uh, get along well and, and see issues in the same way. And there was some real concern from from folks in that room that this initiative was damaging to people of color. How would you respond to that sort of subtle nuance? So, well, first of all, I, you know, throughout the campaign, I mean, I got the chance to personally talk to a lot of people, wide spectrum of a community. I mean, uh, including what you refer to as people of color, I mean, whatever the, the skin color and all spectrum. We meet with black voters, Hispanic voters, and veteran voters of all, I mean, all races. I mean, people signed our signatures. We initially, first stage, we, we need to qualify for this referendum, right? Mm -hmm. It was a statewide campaign to collect signatures. So we, I personally met lots of people, and then I actually don't assume that uh, um, based on your skin color, you would uh, refuse to sign the referendum. In fact, I'm, I have lots of photos, like people from black community, they, I mean, there were, I met a whole family. It's like when they say that, oh, they're, they're going to, be re-allowing the government to be treating people different based on race and color, they immediately sign it. They, 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 yeah, they detest this kind of notion that uh, allowing the government to be treating people differently. Any questions from you all? Well, it certainly sounds like it's a fairness issue, and it's interesting that it was also a party issue. So can you expound on that at all? Uh, it is a fairness issue. Yes, basically, uh, um, it's an equal treatment of everybody, right? Uh, but I don't think it's a party issue. 
I mean, so if you look at the, this election result, um, um, in some of district, like for example, in my own district, 48th district, uh, last year, um, the, there was uh, the race between um, Democrat and a moderate Democrat, the, the, the voting was like 65% versus 35%. But if you look at this year's result, uh, there were 44% rejecting referendum 88. So it's much closer. So I would assume uh, lots of Democrats voted our way. So yeah, and then you, if you look at statewide, um, reject referendum 88 carried 34 counties out of 39 counties, and then 30 legislative district out of 49 legislative district. So that's, yeah. So certainly it's a, it's a cross party line. So the party politics that played out at the legislature didn't extend to the ballot box. That's right, yes. So let me ask you about the future. What do you think the lessons are from your initiative, from your referendum, for the future of Washington state politics, particularly in 2020? Have you, are there takeaways about a, that we should know in terms of a unique understanding or something that is elevated or illuminated as a result of your referendum that we should know about moving forward? Um, yeah, I would say that the legislators should really remember that the, the real governors of this state are the people. So they really, really need to listen. So particularly, uh, I definitely would not want to repeat this, uh, the event that happened in April of this year that, uh, you know, in the legislative session, there are hundreds of protesters outside your Senate uh, chamber and then you still um, turn a blind eye and then pass the initiative 1000 in order to deny people's vote. So that's, that's really important for legislators to listen to the people. Hanshu, co-chair of Let the People Vote, Reject Referendum 88. Sir, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate thank it. you, BJ. Thank you, everybody. Okay. Thanks very much to Kanchu for making time to be with us. I appreciate that. And appreciate the effort of our team here at The Wire to bring you this podcast and the content that we provide at the WashingtonStateWire.com. Those folks include Michael Goldberg, who led the production of this podcast, Madeline Shannon, who's covering the legislature as we speak, Kariana Wilson, Rita Waldrop, Emily Berger, and others who are working to cover the politics, policies, and personalities of Washington State. If you like this and you're ready to hear more, please subscribe. And of course, tell others to subscribe as well. We'll have a season of 10 podcasts here this year, and we're looking forward to having you as listeners. Take care.